0: Father, we thank you that as we sit here, we are in dryness and comfort. We thank you for the storm that you have uh, brought to us this evening. You're the one who commands every lightning bolt where it goes. And as we sit and uh, reflect on your sovereignty, your goodness, your power, uh, we want to thank you that you speak to us (coughs) every day as we open up your word and we ask that you might do that for us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I'm a real sucker for quality American TV shows. Swamp people (laughs) Total Man American pickers they're great aren't they? Um, There's just something about how these shows portray real American culture that I find fascinating. Is that right Sharon? Is it real? (laughs) <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> um, another another part of American culture that I find fascinating as well—they uh, don't really watch them. Um, are beauty pageants. Um, there's so much <laughs> wrong. <in> there. <laughs> there's so much wrong with this industry. You know, the objectifying of women, the teaching young girls all the wrong things about beauty. Yeah, there's eight-year-olds who are having Botox injections and and fake teeth put in. I wonder if the solution is to have an ugliness contest, a competition to find the ugliest woman in the world. We don't actually have to have that competition to find her, though, because we just need to open up our Bibles to the last (laughs) book called Revelation, turn to chapter 17, and there we're introduced to the ugliest woman in the world, the mother of all prostitutes. Uh, She's not the only colourful character that we've seen in Revelation this term. Uh, Some of the other characters that we've seen are the fiery red dragon with seven heads and ten horns uh, who represents Satan. We've seen beasts who come out of the sea and from the land representing authorities and rulers and false prophets and religions who wage war against God and his people. We've seen a victorious lion who looks like a slaughtered lamb that we've been singing about in that song just before. And this slaughtered lamb, the victorious lion, represents Jesus and his victory over the dragon and the beasts and, and all evil by his death and resurrection. He's the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords who rules from the right hand of God from the throne of heaven. We've seen these crazy visions happening um, that, that have been painting a picture for us of what life is like between Jesus' first and second coming. That there'll be much persecution and tribulation for God's people, but we've also seen that God is still in control despite this. He's already won the battle. He's inflicted Satan with a fatal wound. It's just that Satan hasn't breathed his last yet. He's about to cark it, but just not yet. But these visions haven't just been about what's happening in these last days. They've also been about what's been, happen- what's going to happen in the future as Jesus returns and as he brings all evil to an end once and for all, as he pours out his judgment over the whole earth. And so as we get to chapter 17 of this letter tonight, in the previous couple of chapters, uh, God's judgment has been dealt out on the earth and on its inhabitants, but the dragon and the beasts are yet to be dealt with properly. And that's what happens in chapters 17 to 20. And so we're going to see that over the next... 2 weeks, tonight and next week, about how God will, will deal finally with them. Uh, but tonight we're just looking at chapters 17 and 18. And in chapter 17, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles there or the outlines, um, in verse 1, one of the, the seven angels from the previous scene in chapter 16 now speaks to John about a prostitute. No ordinary prostitute, it says there, a notorious one, a universal prostitute, the ugliest woman in the world. Read with me from verse 1, see so this angel says. Come, come, I'll show you, John, the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. And this prostitute, she doesn't just work the streets of King's Cross in Sydney or, or St Kilda Road She, in, in Melbourne. She seduces the kings and huge numbers of the population from around the world. Verse 15, if you look down there, describes the waters that she sits on as peoples and multitudes, nations and language. She's a universal prostitute. But who is this woman? Verse 3 goes on to tell us, and it says there's so... Uh, He carried me away in the spirit to a desert. Uh, The desert's just where you can kind of see things more clearly. Um, And John continues there in verse 3, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and seven horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a gold cup in her hand. So this woman, she's sitting on a beast... And this is the same beast that we saw back in chapter 13, um, Satan's greatest ally, uh, the powers of the world. And the the woman, she's looking pretty glamorous at this point too, isn't she? She's got the bling going on, every kind of valuable jewellery, clothed in purple, scarlet garments. Uh, Now, what what is the deal with the colours? Well, purple is kind of the colour of royalty, and that colour was really expensive, and, and and hard to get. Uh, did you know how they got that colour back then? The only way to get the purple dye was to extract it from sea snails. It's a pretty big job to do. Only the, the rich and, uh, and, and royalty could do it. But what else is interesting about this is that she's dressed up in sim- uh, similarly to the bride of Christ in chapter 21. Uh, to the church, the people of God. She's adorned with every precious stone, pearls and gold and fine linen. And so the, the picture we get is that she's trying to seduce people into thinking that she's God, that she's powerful, that she's generous and beautiful. But, but that's kind of where her beauty and her similarities to the bride ends. Because the rest of verse 4 tells us what she's really like. She had a gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead, a cryptic name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes and of the vile things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Now, this woman, she might be glammed up all on the outside, but she's filthy on the inside, isn't she? Verse 4, she drinks every kind of evil and immorality. She even gets drunk on the blood of believers in verse 6. Drunk on people who love Jesus. You know, that's our blood that she is drinking. She's the original vampire. And she's clearly an enemy of the people of God. In verse 5, she's got a tap, you know, across her face and it says... World's biggest slut, the mother of all prostitutes. The picture we get, you know, she is the pimp who who kind of directs all the evil around the world. Now, her sexual immorality here it isn't, isn't literal, it's figurative, about idolatry, it's about getting people to worship her or, or to worship Satan rather than God. And as John sees this vision, verse 7 tells us that he's astonished. He's astounded, and the angel explains what this vision means. Uh, and, and, And the angel shows us where this woman gets her power. And first up, John is told about the beast that she's riding, verses 8 to 14. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Now this description about the beast, that he was, is not, and is about to come, is similar to the description of Jesus that we've seen several times through Revelation already. We've seen that Jesus and and his his Father is the one who is, who was, and who is coming. So the beast is is a a parody of Jesus, like we saw last week, trying to look like him, but nothing like him really. He's going to come up from the abyss, um, picking up the language of Daniel chapter 7 again here. The abyss is the place of evil. It's the realm of Satan. And, and it's come up a few times already in Revelation, as we've seen. And we're going to look more at it in chapter 20 next week. But the point here is that the beast's days are numbered. He's going to go to destruction. we talked a little bit more about this beast, verses 9 to 13. Um, it's seven heads, uh, seven mountains on which the woman sits. Um, might be a bit uncomfortable, but it's actually an allusion to the city of Rome Uh, the city of Rome is famously built on seven hills but it actually refers more to than just Rome and its power, it's drawing again on the imagery from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, it's highly symbolic language, both in Daniel and here it's talking about kings and and kingdoms still to come but the main point is that it's not going to last for long when it does come So the beast with its heads and its horns is is symbolic of of all the evil empires, of every evil tyrant operating under the power of Satan. And he wars against the people of God. They'll fight against the lamb and his people in verse 14. But Jesus will have the ultimate victory. We've seen that all the way through Revelation. Jesus is going to win because he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, and his people will not be defeated. Those whose names are written in the book of life are spiritually protected by the Lamb. They won't be deceived by the enemy. They won't be fooled by an evil ruler who puts himself above God because they are called, chosen, and faithful, we read there. But in the turn of events in verse 16, the beast turns on the prostitute. It says there, verse 16, the ten horns you saw in the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked, Devour her flesh, they will burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. Okay, it's it's all language from the Old Testament here. And though this prostitute is riding the beast, she's, she's not going to do it forever because the beast is going to turn on her. And this is what Jesus spoke about himself in, Matthew, uh, in Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 24 to 26, about Satan's kingdom being divided. Jesus said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. See here, Satan isn't loyal to his own. He doesn't care about those who belong to his kingdom. He's going to turn on the prostitute. He's going to destroy her. And this is going to be forming part of his downfall. It will cause the kingdom to to come apart. And all of this will take place because God drives him to do it, verse 17. It's God who's pulling the strings in all of this so that his plans and purposes will be accomplished. So in all of this chaos and drama that we're seeing in chapter 17 here, really it's God who's in control. He always has been in control. He's the one with the real power. And so who is this woman then? Who is this prostitute? Chapter 17 tells us that she is the one who seduces people to get into bed with her, with Satan. Satan who traps them into thinking that Satan is the real deal, that Satan is like God, that she is like God. She looks so attractive and appealing with apparently so much to offer. But in this chapter, she's unmasked for what she really is, the ugliest woman in the world. Full of evil and deceit, deep in every kind of sin, she lures people in to worship Satan and all of their evil desires in their hearts rather than worshipping God. And the lamb. But to get an even clearer picture of this woman, we need to read that tat across her face again. Because not only does it call her the mother of all prostitutes, it also calls her Babylon the Great. So she's got two names here, the prostitute and Babylon. To make this connection even clearer, have a look at verse 18, chapter 17, the last verse there. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. Okay, this woman is also the great city, the city of Babylon. Now to get a better understanding about Babylon, we have to go back to our Old Testaments, like we have to so much for all the imagery in Revelation. Babylon comes up many times in the Bible, and always for bad reasons. In chapter 11 of Genesis, it's the place where sinful humanity built up the tower to God. You know, the Tower of Babel. Babylon. They're trying to reach the heavens, trying to make a name for themselves. It's the pinnacle of human re- rebellion against God. There. Later in the Old Testament, Babylon is is the capital of a nation that finally overthrows Israel, nearly wipes them off the face of the planet, but but they don't wipe them out completely. There's a small amount who they capture and take off to Babylon in exile. And that's the setting of the book of Daniel and of Ezekiel, where so much of Revelation comes from. In the reading that we had earlier from Isaiah chapter 47, um, hopefully you noticed that the whole chapter kind of personifies Babylon as, as a prostitute, the mistress of the nations. And it's clear as we consider John's writing about Babylon, that it's not just talking about the historic city of Babylon. Uh, or even metaphorically about only Rome, the dominant power at that time. It was talking about Rome. It was talking about Babylon. But this great city in Revelation that we read about, I'm not sure if you noticed, it's a global empire. It's an empire over the kings of the earth. Yes, it includes those ancient wicked cities, but it refers to any city or any nation that is in rebellion against God. That's who Babylon is. That's who the prostitute is. Not a particular person or city, but any who fit that description. Anyone who's in rebellion against God. And so as we head into chapter 18, the picture changes from a woman to a city. Chapter 18 is all about the form of Babylon. It changes from a woman to a city, but the identity is actually the same. The woman is Babylon, Babylon is the woman, same identity, just a different symbol. So come to chapter 18 and and watch as Babylon falls. Verse 1, after this I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He cried in a mighty voice, It has fallen! Babylon the great has fallen! She's become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her excessive luxury. Sounds a lot like the woman from chapter 17, doesn't it? Now, judgment has finally fallen on this wicked city. And it's talking about here the end-time final judgment of a world that rebels against God. Babylon has finally fallen. Verse 5 tells us that her sins have piled up to heaven. God has remembered her crimes. And he's come back and brought judgment. In verse 7, you see that, uh, that she boasts in her heart, you know, I am a queen, I am not a widow, I'll never see grief. And that is straight out of Isaiah 47. She's deluded. She thinks that she's royal. That she is immortal. That she's the ruler of her own destiny. But God is going to bring her down. And as the city goes up in smoke, the rest of chapter 8, we, 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 we're standing on, uh, looking on to the destruction with mourners. Uh, you know, it's kind of like in the movies where, where people are watching from a distance as planes fly overhead and they bomb a city and kind of the smoke is rising up. Um, A little bit like us watching the the storm come in tonight. Um, That's the vantage point um, for the the next bit in this chapter. Now, of course, God's people aren't here. They're, They're standing rejoicing in the next chapter, chapter 19, singing the Hallelujah Chorus. But for those who fell in love with the prostitute, well, they're devastated as they see the smoke rising up in the distance from the destruction of Babylon. And that's what we're going to see. Come and see why it is that they are grieving, why they're mourning. Three groups of people here. In verses 9 and 10 are the kings of the earth. They've committed sexual immorality with her, which is about idolatry and, and, and worshipping the things of the world. They lived luxuriously off her. And so they're weeping and mourning over her because she allowed them to live like kings, to be luxurious in their lives. These rulers were in bed with Babylon. And, and that led to their own stability and benefit back in their own kingdoms they were powerful because they were in cahoots with her but her downfall was actually meant their downfall as well in verses 11 to 17 of the merchants they're also devastated um, the city was beautiful we read in there adorned with gold and precious stones in verse 16. Dressed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet. And the merchants grieved over her demise because her beauty was gone. But they also grieved because they couldn't sell their merch in her anymore. And it was on her back that they became wealthy. Now, if you have a look at verse 13, these merchants, you know, just weren't ordinary door-to-door salesmen uh, with a squeaky-clean record. They traded in slaves in human lives. Verses 17 to 20, the sailors too blubber over the fall of Babylon. Their business partner is no more uh, because they, they became rich by trading with her. But now all of that is gone and so they're mourning that their wealth has disappeared. Now, it's interesting that these people, they're watching Babylon burn, but they do nothing about it. Now, it's not like Will Smith in Independence Day. we talked about Independence Day before, seeing the clowns come over. Um, but, they, but they're not like Will Smith in Independence Day, who goes and saves the world from an alien invasion. These were the kings, the sailors, the merchants. They've all been sucked in by her, but no one's willing to go and help. They don't love her for her. They only use her for their own selfish gain, for power, for beauty, for wealth. Well, in verses 21 to 24, John sees another vision. A mighty angel picks up a huge rock, a large millstone, throws it into the sea and says, that is what's going to happen to Babylon. When final judgment comes, she's going to sink to the bottom of the ocean where no one will ever see her again or no one will be able to trade with her ever again. And all this will happen in verse 23 because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And the blood of the prophets and the saints and all those slaughtered on the earth was found in you. So Babylon, the people of the earth in their desires for power and wealth and beauty have committed great sins against God and against his people. And so judgment is coming. And when it comes, it's going to come quickly. It's going to come in a single hour. Verses 10, verse 17, verse 19. Now, as we look at these two chapters together, chapter 17 and chapter 18, about the prostitute and Babylon, the big warning here is not to be in bed with the prostitute. Because what happens to her will happen to her partners. Her demise spells their demise. So, are you in bed with the prostitute? If you don't belong to Jesus, then this is exactly where you are. You've joined up with someone who will dazzle you and thrill you for a moment with the, with the, the glitter and lights of, of this world, but one day it will all end. Now, of course, being with her is a much easier life. I get what you want. You, you, know, you live however you please. Um, you live for whatever tickles your fancy. You don't need to stand up for what you believe is right. Just do what you want. Life is much easier, but that's not a life that's going to end with celebrations. It'll end with smoke and fire. Uh, But maybe you have jumped out of bed with her and you've joined the winning side by trusting in the blood of the Lamb. And if that's you, you might not be in bed with her, but are you flirting with her? Are you being seduced by the ways of this world because she reaches out? Trying to ensnare us, she whispers in our ear, I can offer you the world. And for each of us, she whispers in different sweet nothings. Maybe it's the glory of success or of distinction averages. For others, it might be making a pile of money or of a great career. Is it people's applause that you live for? Maybe it's related to sex. Pornography, sleeping around. Perhaps it's the lure of comfort, of an easy life. How does this prostitute seduce you? We need to remember who this woman is today. She's the ugliest woman in the world, the world's biggest slut. The promises that she offers are all hollow. At the end of the age, when Jesus returns, they're all going to be seen for what they are. Stupid, empty, pointless enticements that have led you away from the giver of everlasting life. There is a wonderful alternative, of course, and that is to live as one of the lambs, one of his called, chosen, and faithful followers. To love Jesus rather than loving the world. To live under the care and protection of the victorious King of kings and Lord of Lords. In chapter 18, Jesus has two commands. Two commands for what what will you do? The first is found in verse 4. And here he calls us out of the great city of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. So that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues or STIs. Come out of her. Flee from her ways. If you're in bed with her, get out. There is never a walk of shame in doing that, in walking to Jesus, no matter what you've done. Now, Jesus has come to save us. He came, he gave his life, and he took all of the shame, all of the guilt that we deserve, upon himself. This Jesus, the slain man, he laid his life down for you, in real love. And do you want acceptance? Do you want purpose? Do you want fulfillment? Do you want genuine love? Jesus is saying, come to me and you will find it. And he calls us to follow him. Now, Jesus is going to overcome Satan and his army at the end of time because he's already overcome through his death and resurrection. And what he does now is he gives you and I The power to overcome. Today, tonight. By His grace, He does this through the working of His Holy Spirit. We've seen in Titus 2 in our growth groups, haven't we? Just exactly this. Let me read it to you. You Turn to Titus 2 if you want to. um, To refresh you. Titus chapter 2. All the T's are together. Thessalonians, Timothys, then Titus. Titus 2 verse 11. we read there for the grace of god has appeared with salvation for all people what does this grace do it instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a self-controlled righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Even if we've been dirty by this prostitute, Jesus will clean us. That's what he's come to do, to redeem us. God's grace in the Lord Jesus has redeemed us, has cleaned us if we come to him. And what his grace does is empowers us to say no to the slut, to be self-controlled, and eager to do what is good as we wait for Jesus to return, for his second coming. Even though it might cost us our very lives. Now the second command, the first one is to come out. The second command in chapter 18 is found in verse 20. And it comes um, not from the lips of the distraught sailors, as our Bible suggests. So back in Revelation chapter 18 verse 20 Um, Our Bibles make it look like it's coming from the lips of the, the sailors, but it actually comes from Jesus through his angel. It doesn't make any sense coming from the sailors. And the second command here is to rejoice. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles and prophets, because God has executed your judgment on her. Now our cries for judgment, for justice and vindication in this world The cries from the martyrs under the altar in heaven that we saw in chapter 6 has been answered here as Jesus brings an end to the prostitute and the end to Babylon, to the end of all evil. As he brings justice upon the oppressors and persecutors. And so this is a day of rejoicing for singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb back in chapter 15, for singing the Hallelujah Chorus of chapter 19 which comes just after this. Singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because his judgments are true and right. Because he has judged the prostitute of the earth and and he has avenged the blood of his slaves. That's why we can rejoice. And why we're called to rejoice today. Because Jesus is victorious. Do you recognize Babylon in this world? Do you recognize Babylon in this world? She tries to deceive us into getting into bed with her, enticing us, enslaving us, seducing us to, to worship Satan rather than Jesus. And she does it so sneakily that we don't even realise we're doing it. And as we worship things like our degrees, our families, our lives, our comfort, that's what she's doing. She's making us worship those things which is actually worshipping Satan. So we need to remember what she looks like. She's beautiful on the outside, but devastatingly ugly on the inside. Full of all the vile things of the earth. So don't be attracted to her. Don't be intoxicated by her wine. Now we had no choice really to live in Babylon. (laughs) choice but to live in Babylon, do we? To live among campus life and a secular world. We've got no choice to live amongst her, but we don't have to live for her. We can be like Daniel. Daniel, who so much of Revelation is built on, who really did live in Babylon, and really was in captivity. Yet he refused to bow down to the king, He refused to bow down and worship anyone or anything other than God. Though he lived in Babylon, he worshipped only God. And so he came out of her. And he rejoiced because he knew that God was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he didn't fear going into the furnace. He knew that God would save him. He refused to get into bed with or to be enticed by the prostitute. He refused to compromise with her even though his life was on the line so many times. Yet he was richly rewarded by his God. Not so much in this life, but in the life to come. So don't be seduced by the world's greatest slut. Come out of bed with her. Don't flirt with her, but live for the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords, and long for eternal life. We will find life truly well, before our lights go out. We might be able to have a few questions. Emma. And my yeah, it's next it's, to it. Yeah, it's a noun rather than a verb. Okay. So the noun says it's a place rather than an action. So is that what the number one in the whole means? Because so I can't find the one on my page. Uh what? Oh, it's an L. What am I, is L. Yeah. Or <laughs> prison. Or prison. Oh, that makes sense. Um yeah, and <coughs> sorry. Uh where the um, So you, you can see as well Isaiah 13, verses 20 to 22. If you go to the end of the sentence, a little R there. Cross-reference says this is all coming from Isaiah 13 um, as well. So I'm picking up the imagery from the Old Testament. Um, but yeah, it's a, um, yeah it's, a, it's a place, a location where those things live. Um, and it's a, it's a contrast between um, how everyone sees what she's like that she looks beautiful, you know, adorned and, and prosperous, but really on the inside she's desolate and, you know, all of the, um, you know, like a uh, deserted country town with weeds rolling through and, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Um, so much. Briton. Um, second question with the. Uh, so Yep. What's yep. So chapter 17 from 50 to verse 15, yep. Table yeah, 10 to 10. Yep. What's kind really of going, like, can you just explain that a bit? Like, if, like, so the beasts of the cities and the powers of, thing, and the woman's kind of also the city, and so is it, like, city on city? Is it, yeah. like, Satan, a good city? Like, what's what's actually... Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, so it's like the... Um, Satan's using all these different ways. He's using the, the general, the beast of the... Um, yeah. Different kingdoms. You, you, you also see there as well that um, it's that the the heads of the beast are also said to be the beast as well. And so we're not to read it. You know, try and work out exactly who it's talking about because it's all metaphorical about um, the same um, thing that Satan's trying to do by Deceiving people and tricking them. Um, It's used in the the language as a prostitute who does that, as the city of Babylon who does that, but also more generally, the beast we saw the last couple of weeks, as just general powers of evil. Um, And so they're all very similar. Yeah. All right. Blake, you had a question? Yeah, so 17 verse 9 talks about uh, kind of like there's the seven heads but five have already been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like the wounding of the beast, which is uh, previously in, in Revelation? Like, or, or what are the, the five heads which were... Yeah, yeah. Were? yeah. so again, um, yeah, people try and do their heads in trying to work out who are they exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, people will say that, you know, it's talking about Nero. Nero, I think, was the sixth emperor. Um, uh, but when this was being written, Diocletian was the emperor of Rome, so he was the 12th. So how does that kind of fit in? Um, uh, what we see with the numbers in Revelation is that number seven is the perfect, complete one. Uh, so I gather what it's saying with, with five kings is that um, all of this time has passed, because uh, it, it comes from Daniel 7 as well, that Daniel talks about kingdoms are coming as well, and there's on the four beasts there are seven horns, and those seven horns are kings, and, uh, and so the, the five are, are referring to the, the evil rulers in the past, there's one who is currently ruling, and the seventh one will be one that will come in the future, um, and so it's just looking at a, at a whole time frame of, um, of evil powers, evil rulers um, between the first and second coming of Jesus. So, yeah. So we shouldn't be looking to, to try and name who's who because we get ourselves into all kinds of muddles um, with that. And we need to remember what Revelation is written for us. for the people of that time to endure in their, their suffering and persecution... But it's also written to all people from all time um, uh, for us to help us endure through persecution and suffering. Um, and so it's, the, the, the big picture of it is that um, Jesus is going to come back. He's got it all in hand. And you know, there'll be a little bit of time before he still does come back, but it's going to go like that. Um, you know, Babylon's going to be judged in an hour. Um, the beast is only going to last for an hour. You know, it's the smallest amount of time. And so, when Jesus comes back, it's it's all pretty much over. Any no other questions? How do we recognise other one? Like, it seems really obvious in the imagery here, like it's mm-hmm. pretty repulsive. Yep. But I feel like the things that we've been talking about that we're uh, tempted by aren't quite that obvious sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, how, how do we, we recognize Babylon um, and all this woman? Well, it's the things that, uh, um, like Satan will use anything that God has made to, um, to trip us up, to make us worship the created things rather than the Creator. Um, and so the, the pulls on our hearts for, for different things that we, we desire, um, things that I yeah, spoke about. whether it's success or money or relationships or whatever it is they are things that um, the evil one is trying to seduce us with to draw us away from God Um, we should say look I can actually do without those things all I need is Jesus all I need is God Uh, that is is enough for me Um, we should see those things as wonderful gifts from God receive them with thanksgiving receive them as gracious gifts from him but not allow them um, to be the objects of our worship. Uh, because that's really what, what the dragon, what the beast, what the woman is all trying to do is trying to remove God from the place of our worship and to worship these other things. Um, so whenever we feel our heart being pulled towards different stuff, that is being seduced by the prostitute, of Babylon. But the good news is that in Jesus we have the victory. Um, the power that was in Jesus raising him from the dead is also in us by his Holy Spirit. And so we have real confidence that we have the ability to change and to not give in to those temptations um, like Jesus. Yeah. Let me pray. Father, as we been seen through revelation uh, this term we want to thank you that you are in control of all things even evil and that gives us great confidence in life knowing that uh, even in all the ups and downs and the sufferings and persecutions that are happening in our lives and around the world uh, that you are still in control Jesus is still on his throne and what a wonderful peace that that gives us, Father. And we thank you that one day that you will bring justice to this world and you will put evil to an end finally. And in the meantime, we pray that you would help us to come out of Babylon and to resist the temptation to worship anyone or anything other than you. To not worship our studies, our work, our families, our bank accounts, Our technology, our comfort, our pride, our sports that we enjoy. Help us to see that that, that these things are generous gifts from you to us. So help us to worship the giver and not the gift. And as we uh, are in this fight, Father, help us to support one another in it. Help us to speak the truth in love to each other. And as we do, that help us to rejoice that Jesus truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.